This is the Asade Podcast Channel. Audio pills to get inspired. Let me introduce you to our keynote speaker tonight. Born in Barcelona, Ferran Soriano has more than 25 years of business experience in 12 different countries in the industries of consumer goods, telecommunications, aviation, and football. Graduated from ESADE in 1990, where he earned his BBA and his master's degrees, he started working as a strategy consultant at the MAC Group until he moved to consumer goods multinational company Rekit Benkiser. He later co-founded Cluster Consulting, a strategy consulting firm that grew to have offices in eight countries and 500 employees and later became Diamond Cluster. In 2003, he was elected vice chairman at Football Club Barcelona. Acting as a CEO, he is credited with playing a major role in the transformation of the club. Active in the technology venture capital space, he was also chairman of the airline Spanair. In 2012, he joined Manchester City Football Club as CEO and transformed the club into the City Football Group that currently owns clubs, football clubs and football-related businesses in the UK, in the US, Australia, China, and Japan. And the group includes football clubs like Manchester City Football Club, New York City Football Club, Melbourne City Football Club, and the Yokohama Marinos. Author of a book published in more than 10 countries and languages, Goal, The Ball Doesn't Go In By Chance, Ferran is married with two daughters and lives in Manchester. Please, Ferran, the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. Gracias. Molt bona tarda a, a tots. És un, és un honor per mi estar aquí, estar aquí amb vosaltres. It is, it is an honor for me to be here with you because I was actually sitting there 25 years ago. But for you, the class of 2017, and listening to chat earlier, this was a lot of fun, right? Congratulations. You've made it. So, graduation speeches are supposed to be inspirational, and... I am supposed to share some of the wisdom I might have and try to inspire you. I will try to do so. But before I do, I have to warn you that my supposed wisdom will be no more than the result of my meandering experience through professional life. Which actually started in Barcelona 25 years ago. And I have chosen to use my time with you today to deliver three messages. The first one is you can change the world, truly. I'm going to try to demonstrate that. The second one is it's going to take a lot of effort. And the third message is about strength. Because if we want to change the world, it will not only take effort, but strength. 
So let's talk about changing the world. Why can you truly change the world? Because the world is changing anyway. Today, all the pillars of our economic system are challenged. All of them. Energy, transport, communication. Let's talk about energy. From coal to oil to renewable energies. So the ones of you that know about solar energy will know that this is evolving at a pace that is similar to what Moore's law did to computing. Doubling the capacity every two years. And not a lot of people notice that. It's a change that is happening, like the change in computing was happening 20 years ago, and not everybody pays enough attention. Because it means cheap energy, but it also means that you don't need to invest. You don't need a lot of equity to build those solar plants. You can have them in your houses. It transforms, it converts consumers into consumers and producers. Prosumers. And that changes everything. Changes the paradigm. And this is happening today. Sometimes we don't see the changes when we see them happening every day. But 20 years from now, somebody will say that an energy revolution was happening at this point in time. What about transportation? We can all understand how we went from railway to ships and trucks, but an unthinkable challenge for transport might be happening. What if we actually need to transport less stuff? It's not transporting goods in a different way. It's not moving them. Because 3D printers might be able to print whatever you need, whenever you need. Again, this is a revolution that is a bit hard for us to see now. You surely know that there's places in the world where they are printing everything. They're printing houses. But we don't fully realize what this means. This one is even more evident. Communications. From the telegraph to the telephone to email. I do remember, I'm old enough to remember when there was no email and we were sending faxes. And we thought that email was the end of the world. Now we're going to a world where the Internet of Things is going to connect everything. And again, it's happening today. Connected devices are anticipating the needs of the consumers. They are replacing works that were done by human. A layer of artificial intelligence on top of this connected device, is going to change everything. Everything. So let me give you a very simple example of my own world. The world of scouters, in the world of sports, scouters are very special people because they have a lot of experience. They've seen many players playing. They have sort of a sense to understand when a player is a good player. 
There are scouters that watch thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of baseball games. And they develop a perception of whether a player is a good player or not. So what happens if we can put a chip inside the bat and we can measure every single swing of a player? Every swing, the speed, whether he hits the ball or not, at what distance, at what speed. So what's the role of the scouter? And I am not talking science fiction. Baseball bats are being equipped now with these sensors. Socks for playing football are equipped with sensors so that we can measure everything that the players do. Again, this is happening now. The Internet of Things and artificial intelligence is going to change virtually everything. Let's talk about another transformation that is not about this type of technology. Let me ask you, how many years are you going to live? 80? 90? Are you sure? Do you know how close science is to develop organs that can replace damaged ones? Do you know what genomics is doing to life expectancy? And this is in your generation. This is happening now. What would happen if we live 120 years? Looks like fun, right? It is fun. I want to live 120 years. But somebody will have to think that we will be 1 billion more people in the world. One billion more people on planet Earth. What does it mean? How can we live with one billion people more? And actually older. So this is a, a time of transformation. And the transformation in science, in technology, in uh, genomics is unparalleled. I have to tell you that this is more exciting than when I was sitting here. This is a transformation that happens every maybe 100 years. We haven't had a revolution like this for 100 years. And you're lucky because you're sitting here when this is going to happen. 25 years ago, the world was more boring. Now, all these changes are going to mean also social changes, lots of them. We don't know what they are. But there's one social change that fascinates me. It's the challenge to consumerism. I, I think from time to time, what are people from the future think about us? So picture yourself in a university in 50 years or 100 years when they look at society, people, and behaviors at the end of the 20th century in Europe and in the U.S. You know what I think they're going to say? They will say, wow, these people just bought stuff. They were buying stuff all the time, sometimes without reason. 
Why are we buying so much stuff? Consumerism is the base of our economic system. So an interesting question is, is this finally changing? Is this changing? Are you going to buy less stuff than your father? Because products convert into services. The sharing economy allows you to use products without owning them. Allows you to buy rights instead of buying cars and stocking them in your garages or in the road, creating traffic jams. Maybe you can afford to buy a car, another car. But can the world afford another car on the road? I don't think so. And we're lucky because we have invented ways of transporting ourselves without cars. I was living in Sao Paulo in Brazil um, maybe 20 years ago. And the solution of the traffic of the city was impossible. And I was involved in some, some think tank thinking about how to solve the traffic in Sao Paulo. And people thought about public transportation, more roads and highways. Nobody thought the very simple thing. People have to share cars. That's it. And now technology allows you to do it. The same way they're playing with my system. So another example of what I'm talking about is houses. Okay, you think it's sustainable that people keep buying apartments on, in the beach that get used two or three weeks a year and they're not used in the, in the winter like this picture says. Maybe, again, maybe you can buy another apartment. The world cannot allow you to buy another apartment. But we have solutions. Solutions that come with new business models, with new technology. And all of these are good news. Are good news for the world and are good news for you and for me, for all of us. Because it means that you're joining a world in transformation, a world that will welcome your creativity, will welcome your ideas, your innovation better than the world welcomed innovation, creativity, and ideas 25 years ago. Everybody and everything is changing because everything needs to change. And that's an opportunity for you. I see your faces. Some of you are thinking, yeah, okay, fine, but we're late. Other smarter guys took advantage of it, and they've already done it. We're late. Categorically, I can say you are not late. This is just starting. The Internet of Things and artificial intelligence will transform everything. And you have time to contribute. 
And you can contribute in many ways. I want to share a little anecdote. When I was much younger and I was working in this detergent company, I was in a flight from Barcelona to New York, and I happened to see uh, a senior, well-known Catalan politician, and I dared to, to speak to him. And I told him how passionate I was about helping the Catalan nation develop, and, and what could I do? He asked me, what do you know now? And I told him, I work in a multinational, I sell detergents. He looked at me and said, sell a lot of detergents. You can change the world, you can contribute from many places. It doesn't have to be an ONG, it doesn't have to be the government. From our jobs, doing the right thing, caring about the world, caring about people, caring about local communities, you can have an impact. So that's my, my first point. I truly believe that you can change the world and times are great for that. And the world will embrace your energy and your creativity like never before. My second point is just to remind you that this is going to take a lot of effort. No matter how smart you are, you will have to work very hard to succeed. I've learned that. Science says that you need 10,000 hours to master an activity. Whatever you want to do, if you want to be the best, you need 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours is a lot of time. It's actually five years. So I assume you probably want to be among the best. And if it will take you 10,000 hours to be among the best, you better choose something that you like. Because investing 10,000 hours in something that doesn't excite you, it's a bad idea, it's a bad life, and it's very boring. And I think that this idea must be your main driver to decide your job. What are you willing to do for 10,000 hours and have fun doing it? Enjoy doing it. You know, and now maybe you're thinking, well, you know, I don't really know. How do I know what truly excites me? How do I know what am I made for? And that's a hard question. Sometimes we don't know. I know a lot of very smart people and very senior people that still don't know what is their true passion. But I want to share three ideas with you, three little pieces of advice. The first one is no stress, no rush. No, no need to decide tomorrow. You can be undecisive. You can have doubts. You can try things. Trial and error works very well. Just don't choose something that you hate. Choose something that might be right and try. Because Enjoyment and passion might be in unthinkable places. It's not always surfing in California. Not always. It can be in accounting. You just, you just have to love it. So that's my first advice. No rush, no pressure. 
The second advice is obvious. It's your choice. It's not the choice of your family. It's not the choice of your friends. It's not what uh, others think is good. It's not what is socially accepted. This is very easy to say, I know, and very difficult to do. But it's the key. Choose your 10,000 hours based on what you like, and you will be successful. Talent is normally overrated. It is about work. If you do something that you like, and you work enough hours, you will be successful. And you will be happy, because you will be doing something that you like. It's as simple as it seems. I have a third idea for you on choosing your career, or how you restart your career after the MBA. Look for a magic point. There is a magic point where pressure translates into excitement. And this point is different for everyone, but it exists. And I'm going to give you a little example. Many years ago, when I was vice chairman of FC Barcelona, one day we were about to play Real Madrid. It was very, very tense. Because results were not good, we were under a lot of pressure. And at the beginning of the game, I was walking through the tunnel, I saw our players, and I was, I was so scared. I was petrified for the game to start. And then I saw our star player, our star player at the time, a Brazilian player by the name of Ronaldinho, just before the game. I was petrified. Tell me if he was petrified. He wasn't. He was excited. I couldn't understand him. I was dying of nervousness, and he was very excited. Let's do it. Let's go. Vamos, vamos, vamos. I didn't understand. Ten years later, literally ten years later, I was about to give a speech in a management conference in Mexico. Audience of 4,000 people, a stage as big as for a rock band. And I was about to go onto the stage. One of the organizers came to me and said, aren't you nervous? And I said, no, I'm just excited. I want to start. And then I thought about Ronaldinho. So clearly, I can't be a football player. Because pressure, for me, translates into panic. But I can give speeches. Because pressure translates into excitement. Last week, I was in the U.S. And I was talking to the coach of our New York team. If you like football, you would remember this guy. Patrick Vieira. World Cup winner. He is the coach of our team now. This is his second season. So we were having lunch, and I asked him, how do you cope with the pressure? 
And he said, pressure becomes excitement. As we start the game, I want to see how my tactics, how my game plan translates into results. I'm excited to see if what I thought is going to work. Patrick Vieira is doing the right job for him. Because he translates pressure into passion. So I can promise you that you will be under a lot of pressure at some time. But there is a place for you. There is a, there is a situation. There is a job where the hard work seems just interesting work. And where pressure translates into excitement. Find this job. Find this situation. And you will be happy. And you will be successful. I have a third and final idea for you. If we want to change the world, it's going to take effort, but also it's going to take strength. And one magic word, resilience. I've learned over time, I didn't know that when I was here 25 years ago. I know now Resilience is the most important quality. Because, listen to me, if you think that things might go wrong one day, you're wrong. Because things will go wrong. I promise you. I promise you, you will fail. I promise you, results will be negative. I promise you, you will make mistakes. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay. As long as you recover from them. Professional life will punch you in the face several times. It's okay. You can't choose another option. We cannot always affect what happens to us. But we can always, always decide how do we react. We can always choose to accept defeat and learn from it. You can always choose humility. You can always choose serenity when things go wrong. You will have a chance to show your character and never give up. Because, guys, this is the best, the oldest, and the best trick in the box. Never, ever give up. It sounds simple, but it works. He's the famous baseball player saying, it's hard to be the person that never gives up. You can and you will let go of projects or even companies or startups or whatever when letting them go is the right thing to do. But never, ever give up because you are tired. Never, ever give up because morale is down. It's the best advice I can give you. 
And I've seen so many examples in the world of sports. In football, we lose games. And it's awful, I promise you. Awful. The negative feeling is overwhelming. So for the ones that love football, and you want to continue to love football and enjoy games, don't go to work in the football industry. Because I never, ever enjoy a game. I'm always suffering. And when we lose, the negative feeling is, as I said, overwhelming. But we have a rule. It's called the 24 hours rule. When we lose, we can feel very miserable for 24 hours. We actually encourage ourselves to feel miserable and to talk about it, and to talk about the game, and the mistakes we made, and the referee mistakes, and how difficult it was. I encourage everybody to talk and talk and talk, because in the first minute of the 25th hour, you have to turn the page and think about the next game. And that's the trick. The trick is not to be sad when you lose. The trick is not to suffer when you have negative, negative feelings. The trick is to recover. Think about, think about a goalkeeper. That's the best analogy that I can give you. So you're a goalkeeper, you're playing the game, and you concede a goal. Maybe even the goal was your fault. It was your mistake. A 100,000 people in the stadium watching you and maybe 40 million people watching on TV, and you make a mistake, and you concede a goal. This happens. The strength of the goalkeepers can be summarized in 12 seconds. The 12 seconds, on average, that takes the time to get the ball from the back of your net, give it back to your teammates, and start playing again. And when these 12 seconds are gone, you need to believe that you are going to save the next chance, that you're not, to, you're not going to concede another goal. That's a good metaphor for life. It's life in a pitch. It's life in 12 seconds. Life, you're a goalkeeper, life gives you 12 seconds to recover mentally. No more, 12 seconds. If you're not a goalkeeper playing a football game, I can give you 24 hours. If you want a week, okay, you can take a week. But after, the, after that time, you need to recover. As long as you recover quickly from failure, you'll do well. You'll do very well. And I'm going to finish my meandering speech Remembering um, one of the great people that I met along the way, I met a lot of good people, and I learned a lot, and you will also learn a lot from the people you meet. My friend Mel Bergstein, who passed away very recently, used to tell me all the time, life is a marathon, not a sprint. Life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. I was younger, and I didn't understand. Now, 
I know he was right. Life is a marathon. I encourage you to choose your marathon, run, never give up, and change the world. Congratulations, class of 2017. Thanks for listening. Isade, inspiring futures.